What's up, meeples? On today's show, we answer the frequently asked question of how do we protect our games? We dive into the ways we favour and why, along with Paul bringing you the weekly news, Kickstarters, and the return of the up-and-coming events. That's all coming up on the podcast Recorder Game Community. What's up guys, my name is Jason and I'm Ian and we are two game club organisers shooting the breeze about tabletop gaming. So pop the kettle on, grab a brew and let's get down to this week's episode. And we're going to start this week's episode with what's uh, graced our welcome mats and uh, tortured our bank account. So Ian, have you had anything uh, nice and shiny turn up in the post this week? I have. I may have had too many things for a change. Oh dear. I have actually had three different games, all Marvel themed, no surprises there. <laughs> um, I've had the Hulk expansion for Marvel Champions finally turn up. I may have had a small disagreement with Zartu Games over this, because my Doctor Strange expansion still hasn't turned up, and that was the one that wasn't on pre-order. Oh dear. Um, but I also, the works at the moment have two Marvel games, and they both went cheap, um, of the Sinister Six, which is a semi-cooperative game where you work as, uh, you pick one of ten um, of the supervillains that have been within the Sinister Six. And you have to go and help us um, be a team to go and perform heists. But at the same time, you're villains. You want the most money and the most loot out of it. <laughs> so how do you betray each other first? And also, if you mess around too long, one of the Spider-Men will come and um, come for you. you. The game includes uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man as Peter Parker and Spider-Gwen as well as the villains of Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Venom, Sandman, Mysterio, Vulture, Craven, Electro, Rhino, and the Lizard. It's got really nice components in it. haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I'm really looking forward to that one. I think we'll both enjoy that one, to be fair. I know you're a, a much bigger Spider-Man fan than me, but uh, yeah, the, the whole Sinister Six thing is a massive love for me as well, so I think we'll both enjoy that one. Um, I haven't actually had any games turn up. Uh, I, I've taken a bit of a break on that because uh, I've been spending my money elsewhere this time. But one thing I have been doing is as I'm slowly replacing my paint uh, paint selection. I'm actually switching over from primarily being Citadel-based to being Army Painter-based. Uh, although I love the Citadel paints, I am now in a position where dropper bottles are far more usable for me um with the fact that i i'm starting to use a wet palette a lot lot more so yeah switching over to dropper bottles is is definitely something i would love to go to vallejo but they are so hard to get hold of in the local area so yeah army painter was the way for me and the last game to grace my mat that came with the sinister six seems kind of fitting it sort of dates how how we um, do these podcasts but I literally did this order the day before um, events happened, which we mentioned in the last episode. But my last game was Wakanda Forever, which is based off of the Black Panther film. And you play as the five tribes all working in a way together to beat the villains in the middle of the board. But you all want to cane the mantle of being the Black Panther, which, again, was a bit of a shock to the system after ordering this and then hearing the world news last week. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was shocking news, wasn't it, really? <laughs> Yeah, but I'm looking forward to trying that one. And again, we'll dedicate the first game to rest in power 
for Chadwick Boseman. So yeah, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll crack that one out sooner rather than later. If it's what you guys want to hear, we'll definitely do an episode based on that. I think um, we have already talked about doing a episode specifically themed around the Black Panther. So we've got many games that we can do that with. We just need to. Yep. nail down exactly which one we want to do it with i've had one more thing that has graced my welcome at and that was the arrival of a kickstarter it wasn't a game however that was my uh book of uh how to make a board game that i mentioned quite some quite a few episodes ago um that has finally turned up i have started reading that already um in preparation for us shock and horror jason can actually read i know it's, it's scary isn't it <laughs> But yeah, that was all in total preparation, ready for us and our ideas that we've had with board games. I've even spent time to this very day uh, working on a couple of my own projects. So more on that to come. Yeah, we shall um, watch that with great interest. Oh, yes. So that's uh, what's graced our welcome mats or tortured our bank accounts this week. Uh, so we'll move on to what games have we been playing we would say what games we've we been playing this week, but it's been about three weeks since we last did this, so really it's what games have we been playing recently. Um, the big one for me, obviously a few weeks ago we reviewed it, but I've played it a couple of, a couple of times since, is both of us had the Dynagenics Kickstarter, thoroughly enjoyed starting to get to grips with that. I've had a few multiplayer games, I'm looking forward to trying um, co-op and single scenarios on that soon. Yeah, definitely. I've I've also had a couple of games of that. I've uh, I've started one of the uh, solo scenarios. I did start it today actually, but uh, I ended up uh, working on my own uh, board game in the end. Um, but what I have been playing a lot of recently are uh, a lot of the family games. I've really been hitting the family games. My little one has been begging to play more and more games, so I've been hitting those quite hard. Um, so the first one that I've uh, been playing was uh, a Kickstarter that came through not that long ago, which was Rabbit Rummage. It's a 2-6 to six player, 5-15 to 15 minute game for 6 plus people from Mushroom Games. The premise of the game is a set collecting game where players control a rabbit jumping around in a field filled with various foods that equal points at the end of the game. Movement is based on the roll of a dice. The basic objective is to collect as many bits of food as you can and if you can collect sets of food the more points you're going to get at the end of the game. Player with the most points at the end of the game wins. Uh, that was Rabbit, Rabbit Rummage from Mushroom Gaming. I also had the opportunity to try Brass Birmingham um, recently. I've been itching to play that for a long time. I've had my friends also itching to get me to play that for a long time. It finally happened and I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Player versus player game set back during the uh, industrial age whilst trying to build routes and get particular um, resources made up to score as many points as you can and build up your company as best you can. And again, uh, most points at the end wins. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't win. I never do. But um, <laughs> no, I, I look forward to playing that one again. Cool. Another family game for me, and it's another game from Mushroom Gaming. This one was called Fishy Tactics. It's a much older Kickstarter of theirs. This one is just two to four players. It's a 10 to 15 minute game, but it is for ages four and up. Jason so might be able to cope with that then. I can just about cope with that one. It's another set collecting game similar to Rabbit Rummage, but instead of moving your own meeple around a field, you're in a static boat and the movement is still determined by dice and you actually move the fish to you. Slight difference to this game, uh, there is actually a crocodile which randomly moves and eats up the fish as it moves. 
So it just sort of removes them from the game. And uh, yeah, depending on which way it goes, it, it could come straight towards you and, and therefore make it very difficult for you to, to get points. But yeah, very similar game, very family friendly, lovely little game, 10 minute game. My little one absolutely loves it. And we finish up with one. We're not going to go into it too much because we mentioned it a lot, but both of us have had the opportunity quite a few times to play Pugs in Mugs. I'm really looking forward to that. Now it's all fun- fully funded to um, welcome our mats eventually down the line. Indeed, indeed. And speaking of Kickstarter, I have also had the opportunity to purchase another game, which is obviously going to be a while as it's through Kickstarter. But one of my favourite games that arrived from Kickstarter last year was a game called um, Villagers. And they have released a sequel called Streets. Very similar sort of style of gameplay. Um, Still scoring as many points as you can. But you have to sort of lay tiles until a whole street is connected. And then people move around and score points depending on how you've, what tiles have laid and where you've chosen to place your meeples. It's a relatively cheap price. It's on Kickstarter at the moment. And I loved the first one so much. Honestly, I had a quick glance at the um, project before I'd already pressed the buy button. I can well believe that by the time we end this recording that that game will actually be funded. Because Villages was a phenomenal success. There's been a lot of buzz about that one. Uh, with streets coming to Kickstarter, so I'm guessing that is going to get funded probably within the first hour, two hours of that yeah. going live. Um, the only other thing I've been really been doing, to be honest, uh, hobby related, other than bits of painting here and there, is I actually went through my game collection. I have sorted my game shelf, uh, realised exactly what how big my pile of shame really is. There was a lot of dusting to do. But yeah, I, I found that uh, a lot of my games were being stored in, in ways that just weren't that great. And ironically, this led me on to the idea of what we could talk about today for our topical discussion. And that is, how do we protect our games, considering we have such a large investment in them? You know, and a lot of people have always asked us how we how we do actually protect those games. And the honest answer is sometimes we don't do the best we could. So yeah, why why would you protect your game? Well, I mean, the key thing here that we could sum up in, in the first 10 seconds is it costs a lot of money to buy these games. So it, it makes sense to really protect them and try and get the longevity out of them. But how how would you how would we protect our games? So we've covered the why. How is a much more in-depth discussion. It depends on the type of games. It depends on the genre. And it also depends on where you're playing them. We start with trading cards because that's one of my expertise and I've been doing it for a long time. And you'll find that most people that play, especially competitively, will play with um, trading card sleeves. Um, these can range from penny sleeves, which are just used to, like, as a base layer to maintain cards. There are normal, like, Ultra Pro and different brands that do um, Dragon Shield and stuff that do lovely coloured sleeves or artwork sleeves, which is what you often see trading card players playing with. Um, you can also get what's called over sleeves, which you can protect your sleeves, as silly as that sounds, because some of them can be very expensive. Um, but the reason for all of this, trading cards specifically, are incredibly expensive hobbies. You know, I've mentioned it before with Pokemon, some of the cards just out of a standard set can fetch insane amounts of money. Um, good example with Pokemon, the latest set, the Charizard VMAX card. It's not even a particularly playable card. It is fetching somewhere in the regions of 50 to to $100 a card at the moment just because it's a Charizard and they're quite hard to find in the set. So when you pull one of these out of a booster pack, you want to protect your investment. So putting them straight into sleeves stops greasy fingers. It stops anything, you know, affecting them. 
and I have seen the other cardinal sin of we we managed to save an entire playable deck of Pokemon cards once when one of my friends knocked over an entire glass over the playmat. Um, luckily, it was from the side of the sleeves that is sealed, and we managed to rescue every single card in that deck of cards without anything getting damaged. That's definitely a lot of luck involved there. Just a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, uh, trading card games are a pretty easy no-brainer to me. You know, card sleeves are easy enough to come by. They do come in... But essentially it's three different levels or even four different levels if you include deck protectors in there as well like you said you get your penny sleeves which are exactly what they say on the tin they're about a penny a sleeve usually comes in a, in a pack of a hundred but you wouldn't be able to play a game with those it's literally just to protect the cards at that point exactly yeah um then you sort of get your mid-range cards which are which is where i start putting in things like the ultra pro uh, pro mat sleeves and stuff like that then your premium sleeves start coming in with your dragon, dragon shields. Um, your katana sleeves are another good one, and then finally you get the ultra protection, which is deck protectors and top loaders. Those are usually designed for shipping purposes, or you know, to give that extra protection. I have seen someone try to play a game of Pokemon with a sixty-card deck sleeved in um, top loaders. It was hilariously funny, but it, you wouldn't be allowed to do that in a tournament. It's unpractical. So yeah, they're they're without doubt a a really good way of protecting cards uh, for varying different amounts of money. Um, And to be honest, you can use those same methods of protecting cards, whether it be in a war game or even a board game as well that uses those cards. I personally use uh, sleeves for my Star Wars Legion and Marvel Crisis Protocol games, which are card based and i do the same for armada i've got three different sizes of sleeves i've got my standard ones i like the trading card size tiny little ones for the upgrades and massive tarot size ones for the actual ship cards yep um and obviously marvel crisis protocol actually uses a postcard size cards, so i actually have to buy postcard sleeves you know for, for postcard collectors so there's plenty of different shapes sizes and weights of all these different things out there. So, Wargamers, I have come from that background as well, and there is so much that you can do to protect those miniatures, and, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, it gives me a heart attack every time I see someone turn up with a shoebox, <laughs> and then they just pour miniatures out onto the table, and it's fine when they're not painted, but, you know, when you see all these lovely painted miniatures just sprawling all over the table they've been in there loose they've chipped paint it's it's disastrous i i hate it i now know what to do next time i come around to jason's house <laughs> so what are the different ways that uh, you can protect your miniatures and of course this will cover game you know any kind of game that uses miniatures including board games and war games there are many different ways without a doubt my favorite i'm going to chuck it in there straight away is foam there's mm-hmm. so many com- companies out there that will do fitted foam for those miniatures that's that's my go-to uh battle foam is probably my favorite but even non-fitted um i've I've resorted to foam one thing we might as well throw in here now because it's going to come up shortly i have so many board games that when we had the groups up and running i like to try and cart as much as i can so unlike most people and we'll cover this shortly i don't keep all my board games in their boxes for my events i keep the boxes but I have, because I want to bring so many games to give variety of how I train and teach people and to try and please everyone in a weird way, which I don't have to do, but I choose to. I have 
a large lot of games you know compartmented into deck boxes and sleeves and things all over the place marked up so it's easy to find but the miniatures that came with a lot of these games i also went down the foam trays from the games workshop products i um, got a second hand big sturdy box full of foam and again because it there is time and effort going into painting these miniatures, making sure they survive, making sure you've got everything with you. You know, I want to make these all nice. And because I can't bring 50 boxes of board games or with their miniatures all intact, that was the only option I had. But it is, it's a good option. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, for years, you know, all the armies I've had, you know, I used to play Warhammer Fantasy, you know, with hundreds of miniatures. You know, I, the only option for me really was was foam at the time uh, which is when i started using foam and I, I know you know if i am spending the time to build and paint these lovely miniatures i want them preserved i want them to look good for as long as possible so you can obviously protect them by covering them in clear coats and stuff like that but even after that they need that extra bit and the soft foam is perfect especially when jason throws them on the floor oh yes <laughs> other ways that you can uh store miniatures and i have done this myself is build your own box inserts yeah um i personally build out of foam core i know plenty of people that do it out of cardboard or 3d wood. printing exactly that seems to be the way forward both of us have started looking at that for things like dinogenics and stuff like that you know we are genuinely starting some of these games get bigger and the only way to look at it is to find a new way to store the game the inserts that they provide aren't always suitable no, exactly. So, yep, there's uh, there's there's the DIY side of things there. Another option, and this is actually becoming a more popular option, to be honest, especially amongst the wargaming community, and that is magnetizing the bases of the miniatures and then either building your own storage, which is basically a, a sheet metal tray, which you can then drop the miniatures on, and those magnets will hold it in place. There are companies that are now going down that route as well. So you'll have like a, a shelf system that has slide in and out metal trays, which would then hold on to those bases. So that's a really good way to do it, especially if you've got lots of miniatures. Rather than having layers and layers and layers of foam, you can just try and cram as many in as you possibly can. And they just won't move no matter what abuse you chuck at that case. Yeah. So that's miniatures. So another cardboard component that you find in board games that tends to get overlooked and can sometimes be the easiest ones to damage is actually the tokens you know they come from punch boards they're made of cardboard and those surfaces after a while they do start to lift in the corners one of the best things i find when it comes to that is most tokens tend to be circular so one of the best things is actually coin capsules if you put your tokens in a coin capsule it's going to protect them because they're made of solid plastic. Yep. Another one that I've seen, and it's a weird sort of pet hate of mine because we have tried this with one of our games, one that we both own. I didn't. Jason did. And it didn't work in this, this particular attempt, but is laminating some of the larger cards. That's right. I tried this with... It was, yeah, it was one of our favourite games. It was Thanos Rising. Um at the time, I wasn't aware of the size of the cards. I wasn't aware that you could get oversized sleeves for them. And I tried to laminate them. And yeah. lucky enough, it was it was one that I actually had a spare card of. And We'll use emphasis on the word try. Yeah. The, the, the heat that came from the laminator just destroyed the cards. It burnt all the ink on the inside. 
So, for the love of God, do not try and laminate cards. It does not work. <laughs> I have also seen someone try and do this as a as a kid. I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It was a long time ago, but they tried to laminate their Pokemon cards because they didn't have sleeves. Oh, yeah, it didn't end well. Yeah, I can imagine that. And to be honest, even with the shuffling, that just wouldn't work. So, <laughs> okay, so the next thing that you can do to protect any type of game, I'm actually going to pass over to Ian because this is exactly how Ian stores most of his games in a slightly different way to how I would do it. But, Ian, over to you. When it comes to actually storing the entire game while it's boxed, or my controversial method of just carting everything around anyway, is using the big plastic storage boxes, the ones that properly seal. It means wherever you put them, even if you have to put them in a side shed or a cupboard or something like that, that may may not be completely um, watertight or something, you increase the chance of everything surviving. Um, obviously, you don't want to put them in places like that. I can't stress that enough. You want to keep them in a nice, um, warm, dry storage places. But they're really useful boxes. Again, carting them in and out of buildings. If it's raining or something, there's no, you don't risk any damage to the box. And some of the boxes can be just as expensive as the games themselves. A lot of games have, like, kickstarter exclusives of like uv covering or extra you know extra print on the boxes or exclusives like our, our thunderbirds games we've got the kickstarter exclusives with a completely different artwork on the box yeah you know so you don't want to risk some you know some of these things either so the more the more watertight storage or and protective storage you can get the less chance you've got of damaging the boxes damaging the components losing things you know, because if a box splits while it's in a big plastic box, all the components are still within that big plastic box. <laughs> yeah. So Ian obviously stores uh, for the ease of travel and for the ease of taking as many games along to clubs as possible. Ian stores all of his games out of their original boxes, but within an airtight sealed plastic box. I obviously deal deal with mine slightly differently. I always keep mine in the original boxes, but one thing I have learnt um, is how I would store those boxes now the best way that i have found to store these boxes is horizontally and obviously you're going to put the heaviest box on the bottom and you can stack them the downside to this is eventually you're going to start getting indentations into those boxes and a good way to stop this from happening is actually just to put a thin bit of card between the boxes it stops them from sticking together it stops them from indenting the boxes below the other thing is we couldn't be a board game group without having to give a shout out to ikea um, a lot of people use ikea calyx shells or something very similar because you can they're almost perfect size for board, the standard board game box sizes and also you can only fit x amount in at a time in each section of them so again, the problem Jason's just mentioned, it reduces the chance of that because you only have two or three games within a Calyx section of shelf usually. Yeah, definitely. And I have, I own quite a few of the old Calyx shelves. And yeah, I could fit hundreds <laughs> in the units that I have. Pretty sure I won't be allowed to fill them, <laughs> but uh, we, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a good try. <laughs> so we've mentioned loads and loads of different ways that you can protect your games from the components inside to the boxes that they come in if we had to sum it all up the best ways that we would recommend how to do that how you know what what are our top tips for protecting your games 
sleeving cards, it's even with the cheaper methods, and there are cheaper methods, it's it's almost a no-brainer. As long as your boxes can fit them, however you, you know how you choose to store your games, as long as you make sure they are capable of fitting sleeved cards in, because they do become larger when you sleeve them. It's it just even it, it it stops greasy fingers. You know we naturally produce grease on our fingers. Shuffling will naturally damage the edge of cards. Just makes the game last longer. It doesn't necessarily be you can even sleeve an already damaged deck of cards and suddenly it will shuffle again properly. Stops things clumping. Um, the downside to that because we well, need to put the pros and cons in all of this. Sleeves can be expensive, so be careful like what games you're sleeving and and what sleeves. Sleeves can be confusing. I've done this with my Marvel Champions game. I wasn't paying attention when I first bought my second set of sleeves. I bought clear clear sleeves and then clear matte sleeves. So now I have to buy both because I've got my heroes and my villains sleeved in two different types of sleeves. And, I, you know, I, I want to keep things universally the same because otherwise you, you can spot where things are within shuffling a deck. Um, but sleeves can also be expensive. Just bear that in mind. Um, most sleeves come as like £10 for 100 you know. So if you buy a big card-based game that's got 500, 600 cards in and you want some quality sleeves for it all, you've got to prepare that you're going to be chucking another, you know, up to 50 quid to, you know, to protect that. But that game will last forever. Yeah. You know, you'll often see, again, covering the trading card thing, sleeves can get damaged as well. Um, if you start playing trading card games in tournaments, you'll find you'll have a new pack of sleeves probably around the £5 mark, 5 to £10 mark every tournament because if that sleeves get marked unfortunately there are people that cheat out there people will call you up on it because if you mark a sleeve and you can see where it is when shuffling it is technically cheating because you can work out what card you're going to draw at some point during the game and we have seen people do this so um bear that in mind yep really good advice there uh, with the cards boxes it's exactly the same as the boards there are ways that you can cover these things it's not inherently necessary they're usually built to last, but I keep them as far away from sunlight as you can. If your shelf shelving unit is in sunlight, try and rotate the boxes. Rotate the boxes round so that each side is going to get an even amount of sunlight and it's going to fade evenly. Yep. You know, it, it's going to take a long time to start fading, but if, if it doesn't move, one side is going to be heavily faded and the other side is going to be absolutely fine also becomes a good way of telling how often you've played your games because if you don't rotate them and you don't play them they'll be sitting in the same place one side will be sun bleached the other side will be caked in dust <laughs> okay so ian's favorite plastic storage really really good option here and even if you do keep them in the original game it is wise idea to keep them in a airtight sealed plastic container and if you really can keep them in a warm dry place if you're if you are forced to store your games in a moist damp environment i cannot stress enough you must put your games inside a sealed plastic container if you do not your parts will warp they will swell and your game will be ruined in a matter of weeks to months same principle as the sleeves. It's an expensive option, but as with any of protect, you know, protecting any games, it's worth the investment without having to buy the games again in the long run. Yeah. Uh, one one thing I'd like to stress as well, we've mentioned it a few times. My game, you, you don't have to leave your games in the boxes. Mine don't for the specific reason that 
I basically turned my club into a mobile games library, but we have no storage where I have my games club. So it was what can I fit playing Tetris with my car each week that we come, you know, and again, my transportation, several of my boxes have got damaged by over-transportation. You know, if you really prize these games, it's something to consider how you're going to bring the games to places and how many you bring. I have done mine for a reason because, I, you know, if we have new players, I'd like to try and have something to cover for everyone. Jason has the luxury with his club to do the same thing. He has shelf space to actually store games, you know, at least a selection of games there. But there is nothing wrong with doing what I've done either. But I honestly wouldn't recommend it as a long-term solution. If you are like Ian and you do want to transport your games, but you want to keep them in those original boxes, there is another way that you can transport them and still protect them. And this is the method that I use. There are countless amounts of game bags out there that are specifically designed for carrying board games. They do range in price. Some of them can be quite cheap. Some of them can be horrendously expensive. Um, one of the ones I use is actually for musical instruments and they tend to be just that little bit cheaper yet they are the perfect size so it's worth looking out there they can be anywhere from sort of £10 upwards so that's another really good way of transporting your games and protecting them in, in the process okay the key one miniatures how do we recommend protecting your miniatures well my stance is pretty obvious I cannot back up foam enough i would not store my miniatures in any other way i think we're both agreed on this one the closer you can get and the better you can afford for having um specially designed and pre-cut foam for your miniatures all the more i haven't been able to do that for a lot of my games but i couldn't recommend that enough if you've got the perfect sizes for your particular miniatures it just is so much nicer and it's so much easier and safer and if you can't get those perfectly, you know, specially designed cut foams, the pick and pluck foam that you can get is just as good. You know, just try and make the foam as tight to the miniature as you can, just so that it doesn't move about. If it moves about, all of those tiny little details that you will find on a lot of miniatures now, they're very, very fragile. They're likely to break off, and that's the last thing you want for those lovely miniatures that you've paid good money for. Okay, my biggest tip when it comes to protecting games and this goes for war games role play games card games board games any type of games do not under any circumstances eat while you are touching any game components human hands are notoriously greasy they will have food residue on it and the second that touches your game your game pieces will get sticky they will get nasty and ultimately if they're really greasy you're gonna start having ink running totally agree obviously you know when we do game nights we all like to have like snacks or a drink but again this it, it's more this is where the protection comes on you know card sleeves will help protect your cards from the grease you might eventually have to change the sleeves but it's a far better thing than trying to change the entire game and you know same with miniatures and stuff you're um not risking damaging the paint or the miniatures themselves uh you know as and when you're playing yeah so uh if uh if your friend johnny turns up to play a game and he's got a massive bag of watsits i would uh kick him up the watsit <laughs> that's terrible oh cheesy cheesy <laughs> stop <laughs> right i'm off 
So that is our top tips, if you like, for how we would protect our games. Some of those things in there, like I say, we don't do, but these are the popular ways that we have found people doing this online. If you do want to do any of this kind of stuff, check it out. You know, just do a little Google search. You will find how these people do it. Yeah, do your research first it's with anything in this day and age um, before you start setting out and risking your um, expensive games because most games aren't cheap. Do the research first on what you might need and how you do it. Things like sleeves and stuff, as simple as you know, putting a card in a sleeve can actually be quite complicated because there are lots of different sizes out there. Yeah. You know, and you want to make sure what you're buying is what you need, so you don't waste a load of money, or to whether you think you actually need them. We still have some games we don't bother sleeving. You know, how much is it going to see the table? What's yeah. in it? How good is the box? Does the box have storage for sleeves? Again, like you said, how often is it going to see the table? If it's a game that's only going to see the table once a year and it's a card-based game, you probably aren't going to need those sleeves. If it's a game that doesn't require a lot of shuffling, you more than likely definitely don't need those sleeves. But a game that needs a lot of shuffling, uh, for example, Deck Builder, Legendary on my part, there's no way I would allow any of my cards to be used without sleeves because there's so much shuffling and it only takes one slip, and you've got bent cards. So guys, do any of you protect your games in any of these ways? Have you found a way of protecting games that we have not covered? We would really love to hear from you. We're always looking for ways to protect our own games. So the big question for everyone out there, all you lovely guys and gals, do you use protection for your games? It had to come out at some point in this episode, didn't it? <laughs> so yeah, have you guys found any way of protecting your games that we haven't mentioned today? We really would love to hear from you. You can hit us up on any of our social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Search for podcasts with Crawley Gaming Community. You can also email us on Community at gmail.com. And as per usual, we still have the Discord server. We we are there most nights. You can always find us on a Monday night. We still have our Crawley Gaming Club meetups um, while the clubs can't open. And, you know, until until we can, we will be there. Definitely. Okay, that's it for this section, guys. We're now going to hand over to our man in the CGC news shed for all your weekly news and Kickstarter campaigns. Paul, what have you got for us this week? Well, hello. Welcome back to me in the new shed. They've actually put a window in for me now, so I've got a great view of the fence. Right, enough of me complaining. We have a lot to get through, and I mean a lot. Some news, some nice Kickstarters, and yes, event news. Woohoo! Let's get cracking on. Following rumours of announcement in July, it's not until recently that Bandai have revealed the English language version via a 30 second trailer of the Digimon card game which released in Japan earlier this year. I know a certain member of the team is very excited about this and he may have done a little wee when he heard the news. That's right Ian, we saw your trousers. It follows a continued bombardment from the community after the Japanese sets were very quickly snapped up by players in Japan and around the world, so much so that many stores sold out and continue to do so. Japan has seen three starter sets and two follow-up booster sets released since launch, with a third booster set 
set for release in October, and three more starter sets coming to the Japanese stores sometime in November. But what about us, I hear you cry? Well, no definitive dates have been released as yet, although Bandai's website states that a Super pre-sale is set for sometime in November at participating stores. The Super pre-sale, which will consist of the first three starter decks and the English version 1.0 booster sets, which combine cards from the first three booster sets released in Japan. The official release dates for the card game and version 1 boosters are set for January 2021, with booster pack versions 1.5 set for release sometime in February or March. As with the Pokemon card game, Japanese booster sets have comprised of 6 cards each, whereas the English language sets will contain 12 cards each, with an estimated price for the boosters at £3.99, with starter decks I'm guessing between £10 to £15. Our friends over at borrowagame.com have just launched their latest scheme on their website, Try Before You Buy. Borrow a game is exactly as it sounds, for a fee each month starting at 9 99 This gives you 30 points to borrow a game. One token equals one pound rental value. For example, Ticket to Ride is worth £30, therefore 30 tokens. Route, however, is 80 tokens. The game itself is sent to you with one delivery and return postage per month included with your subscription. Any unused tokens carry over to your next month's subscription, so you can save up for that big box bad boy you've always had your eye on. Now they've given you the option to keep the game you've borrowed. Head back onto the website to tell the team you love the game so much you want to keep it. They're all fine with that, you just pay them the cost of the game, there and then, and as a plus they will refund the cost of the rental back into your account to use again. Simple as. So head on over to borrowagame.com for all the information and FAQs you need before hopefully signing up and getting the game you've wanted to try for ages to your own table. Fans of Smash Up can rejoice in the fact that the first licensed theme comes to a box near them soon from the one and only Marvel Universe. That's right, Smash Up Marvel. Players smash up two groups of Marvel characters from eight starting factions within the base game. Will you choose the Ultimates, the criminal masterminds of Hydra or the heroic Avengers to take over bases and score the most victory points? Mix and match the different decks of heroes and villains to see which combinations can best defeat the others. The game allows for fans to create stories that have never existed in the Marvel Universe. What combo will you choose? The shuffle building game Smash Up begins with a simple premise. Take the 20 card decks of two different factions, shuffle them into a deck of 40 cards, then compete to crush more bases than your opponents. Oh, and did I say that Marvel Smash Up, like the other Smash Up titles, can be completely integrated together? So will the world of Munchkin join forces with Hydra? Or will you take the Avengers out with some cuddly teddy bears? Or even some grandmas? What combo will you choose now? Right, that's the news, and over to Kickstarter now. On the 15th of September is Cascadia. Cascadia is a puzzly, tile-laying, and token-drafting game featuring the habitats and wildlife of the Pacific Northwest. Players take turns building out their own terrain area and populating it with wildlife. Players must create a diverse and harmonious ecosystem as each animal species has a different spatial preference, and each habitat must be placed to reduce fragmentation and create wildlife corridors. Cascadia involves a unique dual-layer puzzle that progresses over time as more habitats and wildlife are added to each player's individual ecosystem. The next two games have no set date of recording, but are due to appear on Kickstarter at some point in September. Reality Shift is a fast-paced 3D racing game for 2-4 to four players, set in a retro virtual reality world. 
Think Tron's light cycles, but in 3D. The racetrack is made of cubes, whose magnetic facings have different paths on them. Your light bike is not constrained by gravity. Your magnetic figure can use any accessible path on the tops and the sides of the cubes. Being fast is not enough though. You will have to play a card each turn that will move a reality cube, creating a track that is always shifting. Don't have a path to the finish? Transform the board to make one. Is an opponent in the lead? change the track to block their way, or just crush them with a reality cube, forcing them to respawn back at the start. Be faster, smarter, and more ruthless than the other racers to win. The Librarian's Adventure Card Game is based on the hit TV series and movies, and is a 1-4 to four player cooperative experience in which you and up to three friends each take the role of a librarian or one of their allies. You have received an invitation to interview for a prestigious position at the Metropolitan Public Library. Answering that, Summons has thrust you into a world of magic and mystery. Fairies, gargoyles, old myths and legends are all very real. Though librarians are members of an ancient fellowship dedicated to the preservation of knowledge and the protection of the innocent from those who would misuse magic. Experts in history, languages, mathematics and a dozen other disciplines, they lead lives of adventure, unravelling magical mysteries, battling ancient conspiracies and saving the world every week, maybe twice before Friday. Each character has strengths and weaknesses that lend themselves to a different playstyle and a deck of cards that represent the knowledge, skills, capabilities you will need to survive. Between character selection and deck customization, the game lets you play your character your way. The game is scenario based. Each session will take you on a new adventure, complete with unique challenges to overcome and goals to pursue. But your antagonists have their own agenda. You resolve actions by rolling unique dice that take into account your character's skill and the difficulty of the action. Success requires that you make thoughtful choices. Do you thwart your enemies or advance your own goals? The following four heroes are included in the base set. Colonel Eve Baird, Cassandra Cillian, Ezekiel Jones and Jacob Stone. Other characters from the series will be included as playable heroes in future expansions. Right, now this is the bit I've been looking forward to. We're saving the best till last. Gaming events. Yep, gaming events. I shall say it again. Gaming events. Yes, we're back. In somewhat of a diminished capacity, but hey-ho, now is the time to emerge from our hobbit holes to blow the dust off all those game boxes and join like-minded gamers in a true face-to-face -face challenge. First up is Crawley Gaming Community at the Comic Shop. Set for Wednesday the 16th of September from 6 till 10pm at, well, obviously the comic shop in Crawley. Entry is £3 for club members, but again, if it's your first visit to one of the CGZ events, then it's free. Also remember that food and those oh-so-delicious milkshakes are on sale too, so make sure you bring some more pennies. Keep signed up to the Crawley Gaming Community Facebook, Twitter and Instagram posts for up-to-date information. Next up on Sunday is my own baby. Yep. I'm being let out of the shed for the whole day to run my Mid-Sussex Meeples Day down in Burgess Hill. That's Sunday, 20th September, from 10am till 6pm. It's £5 entry to the event, with tea, coffee, squash, and obviously biscuits thrown in. You're welcome to bring your own lunches, or just pop out and grab something and bring it on back. Our event is held at Cypress Hall, Cypress Road, just a few buildings up from Burgess Hill Cinema, so we're really close to the town centre, and only a five-minute walk from the station, if that's the way you wanted to come. Head on over to midsussexmeeples.co.uk for more information on precautions in place, our extensive game collection, photos and more. We're also on Facebook in the first instance and recently jumped onto Twitter and Instagram. 
Also, our friends over in Lewis have begun their events too. Lewis Board Games Club and Games Cafe have started their event on the 10th, the day this podcast goes live, so a little late for some of you listening. But with their next event on the Thursday, 24th of September, is one to put in your diaries. Located at the Trinity Centre in Arbinger Place in Lewis, the club runs from 7.30 until 11.30 in the evening, for those of you eager to get back to gaming. With single entry at £3 and family entry at £7, gaming includes anything and everything from miniatures, board gaming and RPGs through to some consoles. I'm sure Dave and the team down in Lewis are more than ready to welcome the old crew and some new members back into the fold. It goes without saying, the gaming community is certainly a group whereby I see an abundance of common sense. And with measures in place as they are, I can't see any issues with us going ahead and continuing to do so if everyone plays their part. We all have measures in place, set out by the owners of our relative spaces, but suffice to say that as long as we're wearing masks, shields, keeping a sensible distance from one another, and using all the precautions provided, then we'll all stay safe and well. Here is to getting back to the table, and we all look forward to seeing and gaming with you very, very soon. That's me, Paul, from the Gaming News Shed. I look forward to seeing and speaking to you soon. Thanks, Paul. Now it's time once again to lock the door and throw away the key. <laughs> one day we are going to let him out, I think. You know, he, he seems to be doing a pretty good job. I think one day we might let him out. We say that every week. Thanks very much for joining us this week, guys. If you have enjoyed what you have been listening to, please do consider giving us a review on whatever podcast service it is you have found this wonderful show. Share and subscribe as much as you possibly can. It really does help us get our content out there to as many people as possible. If you are not aware, we are now on YouTube. You can also hit us up there. So, you know, give us a subscribe, like, comment, make it negative if you want. Anything that you do on YouTube will help. But unless you've got anything else to add this week, Ian... I think we can uh, we can go home. Game on, everyone. Hope you have a lovely week and hope you bring lots to the table. And we will see you all next week. That we will. Game safe, people, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.